Normal broadcasting has been discontinued. Coming to you from Portland, Oregon. The sports business capital of North America. Keep your radio tuned to this frequency. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Now, your host. I tell you, I've never seen anything like that guy. Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports. Glad you could join us. In segment three, John Wartime. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He's also the author of a new book called Strokes of Genius. Federer, Nadal, and the greatest match ever played. It details their Wimbledon final in 2008. What an epic match that was. You might learn some things about Nadal and Federer that you haven't learned before. We'll also talk about tennis, where it is as uh, the state of tennis and the business of tennis. That's all coming up in segment three with John Wartime. In segment four, Darren Ravel from CNBC. He's their sports business reporter. We're going to talk about the NBA playoffs. Boy, Nike, Vitamin Water, several companies that have invested heavily in a Kobe Bryant versus LeBron James matchup. They are sweating bullets as we speak. We'll also talk about what uh, the monkey wrench could mean for the NBA and for ABC. That's coming up with Darren Ravel from CNBC in segment four. A couple of other notes. Visit my sports business blog or download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. You can also go to our website and become our Facebook friend or follow me via Twitter. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and visit the blog page for links to both of those pages. I'm joined in studio by Nathan Roach and Bobby Corser. Uh, Nathan, NBA playoffs, uh, interesting to watch. And for all those conspiracy theorists out there, uh, this definitely is not the way that the league would have planned this had they been uh, pulling all the mechanisms behind the scenes. No, I don't think the league would have planned it this way. But let's face it, the playoffs as a whole, from round one to where we're at right now, has been fantastic. And frankly, I won't be disappointed no matter what the outcome will be because I've had so much fun watching it. Well, and we will talk about the TV ratings specifically for TNT. Enormous TV ratings for the Magic and the Cavaliers this past week. We'll give you those numbers. And uh, there could be an ownership change with the Major League Baseball's Texas Rangers. Tom Hicks is in financial trouble. Like many owners in professional sports, we'll tell you more about that. Good show lined up. Of course, we've got Sweet Success, sponsored by Moose Tracks Ice Cream, a segment we do every week on the show. We've got that coming up as well. You're listening to Sports business radio stay tuned for headlines this is brian berger from sports business radio i know many of our listeners dream of a job in the sports industry but don't know where to begin to me it's an easy call go where sports business education got its start at the warsaw sports marketing center at the university of oregon as the first business school in the country to offer undergraduate and graduate programs Themed around this multi-billion dollar industry, the Warsaw Center offers a unique blend and strong general business training, sports business curriculum taught by industry experts, and rich out-of-classroom experiences, including real-world consulting projects, study tours, and internships. With a strong industry and alumni network and a staff dedicated to accelerating your career, the Warsaw Center has a proven track record of placing students in teams, league offices, corporate sponsors, marketing agencies, sports media, and sports shoe and apparel firms. But like any elite team, there's only a few spots on the roster. To learn more, visit sportsbusinessradio.com for a link to the center's website. The Warsaw Sports Marketing Center. Passion, integrity, and leadership in sports business education. 
back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. It's time for this week's Sports Business Radio headline, sponsored by the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon. Visit WarsawCenter.com for more information. Headline number one, the first two games of the Pittsburgh Penguins-Detroit Red Wings Stanley Cup Finals, they're going to be played back-to-back on Saturday and Sunday night. This is a rare scheduling move due to the debut of Conan O'Brien on The Tonight Show, replacing Jay Leno on Monday night. That's on at 11.35 p.m. Eastern. And Nathan, basically NBC doesn't want to take a chance that a Monday Game 2 Stanley Cup Finals would go into overtime and would delay the debut of Conan O'Brien on The Tonight Show. The coaches and the teams aren't real excited about playing back-to-back games because usually you have at least one day off in between Stanley Cup final games. Well, I don't know. I mean, it seems like for the NHL as a whole, certainly not the players or the coaches, but the NHL as a whole to be prime time on the weekends is is a pretty good move, especially on NBC, because more people are likely to be up later and stay tuned to those games. Yeah, you're probably right. I mean, I bet their numbers are better on a Sunday night than on a Monday night, but this is just another example of how TV, whether it's Fox with the World Series, whether it's whatever network is airing the Super Bowl, and now in this case with the Stanley Cup, the TV networks dictate the start times and the schedule for these series, not the leagues. And, you know, Conan O'Brien ultimately in his debut replacing Jay Leno on Monday night, that's what's dictating the Stanley Cup final. I think you'd have more people upset if they missed Conan O'Brien's debut than if they're missing the hockey game. Wow. See, I don't even watch the Tonight Show anymore. Watch it with Conan. It's going to be great. All right, our next headline, Cowboy Stadium. The over $1 billion Cowboy Stadium. It opened its doors for the first time this week. Cowboys owner Jerry Jones, his family, along with Arlington Mayor Robert Cluck, pulled a lever to open the doors, and about 1,500 local leaders were there. Now, guys, this didn't come in on budget. And, uh, you know, there's some other things that we could say about the Cowboys Cowboys Stadium construction. But at the end of the day, it's going to host a Super Bowl in the near future. It's going to host an NCAA tournament in the near future. And it's going to host the NBA All-Star Game. So this is a venue that just this week opened its doors. And it's already got some of the biggest events in sports heading in its direction. Yeah, I don't think the city of Dallas is too worried about the fact that it was over budget and took a little bit longer. When you've got those caliber events coming to your city, we talk about this all the time on Sports Business Radio, it brings so much money in. And so I think that this is uh, no big deal at all for the stadium to be a little over budget. Now, Jerry Jones didn't deny that sales of luxury suites have been slow during the recession, saying that about 280 suites have been sold. They've got 20 more suites to sell. Uh, One of the signature, uh, I guess, amenities of the new Cowboys Stadium, it's got a 160 by 72 feet video HD board. It's HD, so I guess when you're watching this thing, it looks like, uh, you know, it's an incredible picture. So when you got the really crummy seats, you can at least see the picture in HD. I guess so. All right, our next headline. NASCAR, it is in the dumps. Attendance is down. TV ratings are down. They're having all kinds of problems. Officials this week had two meetings with team owners and drivers to discuss how to improve the NASCAR product, including on-track racing and ways to entice fans that may have stopped watching or attending to take 
another look. Chair and CEO Brian France and President Mike Helton were there for this meeting, and it'll be interesting to see if they came up with any strategies that will help NASCAR. But uh, again, NASCAR is hurting in this recession, this down economy with uh, sponsorships for race teams, with fans not being able to come out and buy tickets to the races, and even the TV ratings. NASCAR, which was so big just a few years ago, is really on the decline. Well, that's what's difficult about NASCAR is much of their fan base is blue collar, which seems to be getting hit the hardest here in this economy, so they're unable to afford tickets to the event. One last headline, another note on NASCAR. Rick Hendrick, who employs Dale Earnhardt Jr., he's won one of 48 starts for Hendrick Motorsports. Uh, They are replacing Tony Urey Jr. as Earnhardt Jr.'s crew chief beginning this weekend with the race at Dover. So Dale Earnhardt Jr. not getting it done, and they make the replacement with the crew chief. All right, it's time for another edition of Sweet Success, sponsored by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Success. I have great news for you. How sweet it is. Right on, sweet sister. Time to highlight a winning move from the world of sports business. Oh, man, that's sweet. Sports Business Radio presents Sweet Success. That'd be sweet. Brought to you by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. To find Moose Tracks at a store near you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. Epic ratings for NBA playoffs this week. Monday's Lakers-Nuggets Western Conference Finals Game 4. Mark the second most viewed NBA broadcast on cable ever. Not this year, ever. Only to be topped by Tuesday's Cavaliers Magic Eastern Conference Finals Game 4. That was the most viewed NBA postseason game in cable TV history. Over 10 million viewers. Overall, NBA playoff ratings, guys, up 15%. That is sweet success And David Stern, the commissioner of the NBA, has to be happy. You know, there's not a dominant team in the playoffs this year, but the games have been so competitive and so close, and we've seen so many overtime games, and it's made a great recipe for TV ratings for the NBA playoffs. Well, that's what I said at the very beginning of the show, is I don't really care how it ends up. I've I've had so much fun watching the playoffs, and to that matter... You got TNT. I love that TNT's coverage. It's been fantastic. All right, so that's our sweet success for this week, brought to you by Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Go online to moosetracks.com. Click on the store locator to find the store in your city selling Moose Tracks Ice Cream. Coming up next, John Wartime. He's a senior writer for Sports Illustrated. He's got a new book out about Roger Federer and Rafael Nadal. That's coming up next. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. I've got a confession to make. I'm a sucker for good ice cream. There's nothing better than watching a sporting event while enjoying an ice cream cone, or better yet, fixing an ice cream sundae with my daughter. Lucky for me, I found an indulgent ice cream at an affordable price. Moose Tracks ice cream comes in a variety of flavors, including chocolate moose tracks, extreme moose tracks, mint moose tracks, and of course, original moose tracks, just to name a few. What's my favorite moose tracks ice cream flavor? It's chocolate moose tracks which is chocolate ice cream with peanut butter cups and famous Moose Tracks fudge. For a chocoholic and peanut butter lover like me, it's heaven. What's your favorite Moose Tracks flavor? To find the Moose Tracks branded store nearest you, check out the store locator at moosetracks.com. That's M-O-O-S-E, 
T-R-A-C-K-S dot com. Or find the Moose Tracks banner on our website at sportsbusinessradio.com. Moose Tracks Ice Cream, the official ice cream of Sports Business Radio. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is John Wartime, good friend of the show, Sports Illustrated senior writer. He's the author of a new book. It's called Strokes of Genius, Federer, Nadal, and the Greatest Match Ever Played. It's about the Wimbledon final from 2008. John, thanks for joining us on Sports Business Radio. Pleasure. Good to be here. So let's first start off by talking about the book. Uh, So many people, whether you're a diehard tennis fan or just a casual tennis fan, remember this epic match between Federer and Nadal last summer at Wimbledon. Uh, How did the idea for this book come about? Was it just one of those things that this was such an amazing event that you had to write a book about it? More or less. I mean, I I had a deal to do a sort of an examination of Federer. Um, You know, the thinking being here was a sort of Tiger Woods of tennis, and everybody knows about Tiger, and there have been a million books devoted to him, but no one really knew much about Federer. And he gets to the finals of Wimbledon, and I was, you know, lucky enough to to be there. And he loses the first two sets, and I'm thinking this, this book project's about to go in the tank. And then he comes back wins the next two sets, and by the fifth set, you knew this match was just classic no matter what happened. And I'm sort of thinking uh, by, the, by the end of the match, it was pretty clear to everyone that this book was going to morph into something different. So I got a little lucky there, but um, yeah, it, it was just unbelievable. I mean, it was I, you know, easily the most memorable sporting event I've ever been to. And, you know, the at Wimbledon, they've got this great media policy where the they put the media a couple rows behind the court. So you're, you're not in some press box, you know, in the stratosphere, you're, you're right there. So it was, uh, it was a pretty intense experience. You know, that's pretty high praise coming from someone like yourself. You've been to a number of big sporting events, and you're saying this was the greatest sporting event you've been to. What elements made it the greatest sporting event you've been to? Well, it was a, such a high-quality I mean, it's just great tennis, first of all. Um, you know, it had all those elements, drama and comebacks and you know, the, the level of play never really dipped, and there were these momentum shifts. But also, it just that match had so much hype going in because you knew that no matter what happened, it was going to be a big storyline. Either Federer was going to, you know, fend off this challenger and win his sixth straight Wimbledon, which was going to be a record, or else Nadal was finally going to take down the king. So you had these huge plot lines going in. And then not only did the, did the match sort of pan out, but also pr- pretty much like everybody thought, it was a big big plot changer in uh, you know, the, the game changer in men's tennis. We've seen Borg and McEnroe, Connors and McEnroe, Everett and Navratilova. Where does Federer and Nadal rank amongst those great rivalries in tennis? I mean, that's a good question. And luckily, I mean, they're still, you know, they played, they played each other, uh, you know, just, just a couple weeks ago. So luckily it's still going. It's a weird rivalry. I mean, I think, you know, it's one versus two. You know, the, the great contrast, they've already played each other more times than McEnroe and Borg ever played. But it's a little bit of a weird rivalry in that Nadal, you know, one guy wins the vast majority of the time. I think I think Everett and Navratilova played about 75 times, and it was, I mean, don't, you know, don't, don't quote me too much on this. But, you know, they were, they were within a couple matches of each other. It was, you know, 38 to 34 or something like that. With this, I mean, Nadal was winning you know, two-thirds, 70% of the time they're playing. So it's kind of a weird rivalry in that the number, 
you know, basically the guy who was number two for most of it won the majority of the matches. But it's really it's a great rivalry. The contrasts are really unique when they when they play each other, and they also, you know, it's, it's two good guys, which I think. You know, people might like it if they disliked each other a little more, but it, it, it's kind of nice to have a rivalry where, you know, you can you can root for both of them. It's not the hero against you know the anti-hero. John, this is Nathan. You know, we, we as the as the sports and tennis fans talk about how great this rivalry is, but the fact of the matter is these are two foreign players, and in the United States, we are all about, especially with tennis, seeing the Americans you know rise and the Americans dominate as they did in years past. Do you think that this rivalry's gotten to the point now where it's drawing in the casual fan, where the casual sports fan or even just the casual person is going to tune in to watch these, or do you think we're still waiting for that American player to break through and 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 become one of the rivalries again? Yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, let's be. It would, it wouldn't. It, it certainly would help if Federer were from, uh, you know, Corvallis uh, <laughs> and Nadal were from uh, from Topeka. Um, you know what I think it is more more than these guys being American or non-American. You know what I think it is is that they they just don't play here that often. I mean the way tennis is structured, um, you know we we like Ichiro and we like uh, you know there there are plenty of form. You know, I'm watching uh, you look at the Cavaliers, you look at Yao Ming. Those are familiar guys. I think um, one of the problems with tennis is not just that these guys aren't American, but they they hardly ever play here. I mean Nadal and Federer may only play three four events in the United States all year. So I think, you know, some of it is we wish they were American, and, you know, Nadal's English, frankly, isn't great. And, I mean, there's there's some sort of there, – there are things holding it back that way. But I think a big part of it is just that the fans don't really get a sense of who these guys are because they don't play here too often. The Kentucky Derby, the Indy 500, and tennis. These are all things that in my lifetime used to be held in such high regard and uh, had such prestige behind them, and now – they just don't have that same prestige that they used to have. For tennis, John, what does tennis need to do to attract fans like it used to? No, I mean, I think when you look at when tennis is hot, look where, again, look where the players were from, but also look where the tournaments were. I mean, there are hardly any tournaments in the United States. It used to be basically the tennis tour was the Grand Slams and, uh, and the Italian Open, and otherwise it was pretty much you know Florida to Cal. It was like the PGA Tour. I mean, it you know, would be in... North Carolina one week and Boca the next, and you know three time zones. And it would make its way across the country. Now, I mean, you can go months and months without an American event. I mean, I think, I think uh, you know, un- unlike uh, horse racing or you know certainly uh, the Indy 500. I mean, I think tennis overall is is probably pretty healthy. It's just not. It's just gotten so global that um, you know it, it's not that healthy in the United States right now. But. As far as the U.S. goes, I mean, I think, sure, it would help if you had more American champions, but I, I just think a big part of it is that for months and months and months at a time, um, you know, you you, you got to really be a hardcore fan to follow the sport. Is that because, you know, we're talking about how it's not like the PGA, it's not, uh, you know, every weekend in the United States somewhere. Is it because the sponsor money is in other countries and the sponsors and the countries step up and say, hey, we want to bring the best tennis players in the world over to Shanghai or, you know, wherever it may be, Stockholm? Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, at some level, the sponsors follow the players. Um, but, yeah, you're right. I mean, in Dubai, they could love the, the oil sheiks, you know, the, the oil money in Dubai. They, they might love the NBA, but they're not going to get a team. With a sport like tennis, they they love uh, they love their tennis, and they put an event there, and suddenly the event's leaving Scottsdale or, you know, Las Vegas, which is actually what happened. 
and suddenly they're playing, you know, eight, eight, ten time zones away in the Middle East. I mean, it's it's, it's that simple. And, uh, you know, it's good for the players and it's good for the agents. And you could argue it's probably good for the sport overall that it's getting to a place like uh, the Middle East. But, you know, I don't know too many American fans that are getting up at four in the morning to watch uh, the, the first round of the Dubai Open. Yeah, neither do I. We're joined by John Wartime. He's Sports Illustrated senior writer. He's the author of a book called Strokes of Genius, Federer, Nadal, and the Greatest Match Ever Played. It's about the Wimbledon 2008 final. John, uh, tell us something that we might be surprised about when it comes to Federer and Nadal. I mean, you know, again, these guys are terrific tennis players, but we don't really know them very well. Uh, no, that's 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 a good point. And, uh, you know, I mean, there's sort of small details. Came, you know, Federer, before he was this great athlete, you know, the, the Tiger Woods of tennis, a world-class athlete, and before the Wimbledon final, he downs a 20-ounce bottle of Pepsi and eats a Kit Kat bar. I mean, you know, there's sort of detailed, little details like that. But also, I, I just think Federer is a fascinating guy because he has got so much of the physical talent. I mean, so much of just the, the genius and so little of the mental toughness. I mean, I've never seen an athlete quite like this, where the gap between the physical talent and the mental talent is, is so wide. And I think I think a lot of his problems with Nadal are just getting psyched out. And I don't know if you... I don't know if you saw him crying when he lost that match in Australia, but their their battles are really partially about the tennis, but also partially mental. And for Nadal, I mean, the the one thing I discovered writing this book is, you know, he's coached by his uncle. When you hear about a tennis player, I think this is true for a lot of sports, and a family member coaches them, you sort of roll your eyes and you think, uh, you know, Pops is just along for the free the free swag and the courtesy car. right. And, um, you know, in, entourage. In case, yeah, exactly. It's it's entourage, right? It's Turtle and uh, Johnny Drama. Stuff. <laughs> um, in this case, the the uncle's this fascinating guy who's sort of a, a self taught player, but really one of the smarter and more thoughtful coaches I'd ever come across. And I think you know, like English, not the first language. And it's um, again, I think mo- most people that that see athletes and see sports when they hear about uh, coached by uncle, they they immediately think the guy's just a freeloader. But it, you get to know the uncle, and then all success makes a lot more success. Makes a lot more sense. You know, John. A couple years ago, we talked about Federer being the greatest player of all time, and Nadal was barely even mentioned in in that sentence. And now, all of a sudden, Nadal is coming up. Can you see Nadal kind of overtaking Federer for the throne of the greatest of all time? And what would it take for that to happen? Yeah, I mean, in a short period of time, it really has been the uh, the discussions really changed. I mean, it used to be, hey, this muscular kid from Spain could really challenge Federer. And now, you know, barely a year later, it's, wait a second, we're all ready to anoint Federer and look at the track record this guy has. I mean, Nadal's trajectory right now is way ahead of Federer's. I mean, you know, he he could win his eighth Grand Slam here pretty soon. Um, And, you know, I mean, injuries are sort of the big question mark. He plays that pounding style, and you wonder how long he can keep it up. But, no, I think think there's no question about it. It's sort of like – you know, when Mark McGuire breaks the home run record and here comes Bonds two years late. I mean, I think it's just the same kind of thing where we're all ready to say Federer's the best ever and suddenly, uh, you know, we, we may have the, the best ever might be his contemporary. John, quickly, let's uh, finish up by talking about the French Open. Nadal has never lost a match on the clay at uh, Roland Garros at the French Open. That, to me, is is truly amazing and do we see any reason why that's going to change this year? Uh, you know, he he could eat some uh, could eat a some bad food, bad croissant tonight. But but I mean, objectively, 
Uh, it's pretty much, you know, you hate to say this when there's a 128 draw, but it's pretty much his tournament to lose. But you're right. I mean, it has, I mean, that's just a joke. I mean, anybody can have a bad day, but this guy's so mentally tough that even when he's feeling flat or, or for whatever reason doesn't have the the A game, he still finds a way to win. And uh, yeah, I mean, you know, we're we're looking basically at five years. I mean, his winning streak is up. Uh, you know, it's already more than 30 matches, and basically, you know, I don't I don't think there's much reason to think it won't be uh, 35 by the end of the tournament. Well, John Wartime, Sports Illustrated senior writer, the author of the book Strokes of Genius, Federer, Nadal, and the Greatest Match Ever Played. Find it at Amazon.com and bookstores everywhere. John, thanks for joining us on uh, Sports Business Radio this week. Always good to catch up. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm looking for a place to have dinner with family, friends, or business associates, there's only one restaurant on my list. Morton's The Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. In its 28th year in business, Morton serves only the finest quality foods, featuring USDA prime-age beef, fresh seafood, hand-picked produce, and decadent desserts prepared to perfection. Not to mention the award-winning wine list. When my destination is Morton's, the best is always on the menu. And they treat me like a VIP during every visit, whether in the dining room or the private boardrooms. With almost 75 restaurants conveniently located around the world, Morton's is the gold standard when it comes to steakhouses. To find the Morton's nearest you or to make a reservation, go online to mortons.com. Morton's, the best steak anywhere and the official steakhouse of Sports Business Radio. One-on-one with those making the big-time decisions that impact your sport. This is Sports Sense on Sports Business Radio. Sports Business Radio. My guest is Darren Ravel. He's CNBC's sports business reporter. You can also find him online at DarrenRavel.com. Darren, thanks for joining us this week on Sports Business Radio. Thanks for having me, Brian. So, Darren, let's start by talking about the NBA playoffs. Uh, you know, so many conspiracy theorists out there said it's going to be LeBron and Kobe, and we've seen Nike and Vitamin Water uh, make some big gambles with ad campaigns. Well, now, not looking so good for a Kobe-LeBron matchup. What is it going to mean to Nike and Vitamin Water if they've got to uh, come up with new campaigns by the time the finals rolls around on June 4th, and do you think they can scramble and pull everything together uh, by that time? I actually think there's not much effect here. They had Kobe and LeBron. And they went with it, and everyone was talking about it. And so I don't, I don't have any problem with them going with it. Uh, I don't think there was any money lost. It's not like they've made Kobe LeBron finals bottles, or they've made a special final shoe that they're now going to have to throw out. There really is no immediate loss from the fact that there might not be a Kobe and LeBron finals. Could they do something? I mean, Nike would be screwed because Nike really doesn't have much of a play um i think you know kobe sure but but uh on a magic front they don't because because you have uh dwight is an adidas guy um a vitamin water is not i mean vitamin water actually has both um uh dwight howard and chauncey billups maybe as a as a nuggets play if that if that ever came to be so um you know, I, I, I think that they can mobilize and they can do things, um, but I don't think all is lost. 
I guess the reason I ask is I talked to some people from Nike this week, uh, and they've done some serious ad buys around a Kobe and LeBron matchup. Now, if that doesn't materialize and they can't run the puppet commercials, they've got to run something. Either that, or I guess they go pleading for for refunds. They've done things well, they like can, no, no, they can they can run they can run Kobe stuff straight up. I mean, you got to ask the question: What are they getting anyway? I mean, I know that they've 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 bought spots, um, but the question is: What what immediate benefit are they getting anyway? There's not a special Kobe shoe, so the fact that they would have to come up with something, believe me, Nike has something to promote. It's, but it's not an immediate loss of anything because they're not promoting any product to begin with. They're just promoting brand. So the NBA and ABC, uh, you know, I know you wrote in your, your blog this week uh, that, you know, if it's Orlando and Denver, there's still stars there. And uh, it might be, you know, as long as the series isn't a sweep and it's a competitive series, the ratings will probably be just as good. And I think you brought up the example of a few years ago when Cleveland and San Antonio played, and you had stars in that series, but it was a sweep, and it was the worst-rated finals of all time. I mean, let's not forget about that. Let's not forget that the last time we had LeBron in the finals, it was the worst-rated of all time. So, you know, you can't forget about that. And long series, I mean, that's what ABC's hoping for. They're hoping to get close games, they're hoping to get people to get into it. And, you know, sure, LeBron and Kobe starts the potential of a perfect storm. But in terms of market size, Orlando and Cleveland, you know, kind of a watch. Um, L.A. and um, LA and Denver is obviously a much different story. But that's just one factor. The number one factor is really the length of games and how far it goes. And you can have... You know, I mean, I know that the Spurs were also dull. I guess the question is, what was the, are the Nets, you know, and their disaster of ratings, are they the New York market? I don't know. That's always an interesting question. But it's the length of games that's number one, and I think that really gets lost. Well, I think the other thing that gets lost is, you know, the NBA and the networks, ABC, they have long-term sponsors lined up. It's not like they're just going out last month and finding people to sponsor the NBA Finals. These are people that they already have on board, and they're on board no matter who's playing in the Finals. It's not like they're only on board if uh, yeah, LA that, and Cleveland are in. So, yeah, absolutely true. You're right on that. Uh, let's talk about something else NBA-related, because I thought this was interesting this week, and you wrote a good piece about it, again, on your blog at DarrenRavel.com. A Chinese group purchases 15% of the Cleveland Cavaliers. This, of course, is pending league approval and approval from the Board of Governors. But uh, you were talking about a gentleman who has a minority share of the Cavaliers. Dan Gilbert, of course, is the majority owner of the team. And uh, just how he may be getting out at the right time. I mean, a lot of people are looking at this as, hey, what a great investment LeBron plays for the Cavs. But if we fast forward to next summer and LeBron does, in fact, leave the Cavaliers, you were saying that you think that the Cavaliers' franchise value could plummet as much as $100 million. Yeah, I mean, this guy might have hit at the height of the value. because, And, it, and I mean, like, day of. Now, I'm not sure exactly when it was signed. Some people say midweek. Some people say it was, you know, Saturday. If it was last Saturday with the, the LeBron shot, then it, that could have actually been the exact day 
that the Cavs peaked in value, uh, which would be amazing. Now, this guy, David Katzman, wanting to sell a share for about a year. I think him and Dan Gilbert had a little bit of falling out, as has been reported. And he wanted out, and it just came to be. Now, on this LeBron thing, I, li- I could be wrong here. I don't think I'm ultimate genius. But I think too much is being made of this. You know, I've been to China. You've been to China. China respects champions. Kobe is so much bigger than LeBron over there. Absolutely. And 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 part of it is because of the culture of champion. And so if you're to tell me that just because one of their native sons owns a small piece of the team, that's going to make LeBron bigger in China, I don't think that's a good correlation. I think I I, I really think that a championship will make LeBron bigger in China, not that someone owns a piece of the team. And you know what? You know what would be a big if somehow this helped get Yao to Cleveland. Okay, well that that would be a different story. If Yao was playing for Cleveland, then I think that would help the popularity of the Cavaliers. But this whole China will keep LeBron in Cleveland logic, I think, is a little bit misguided and has been very overplayed. No, I totally agree with you. I guess when I first heard about this deal, the first thing I thought of was the Boston Red Sox and the Seattle Mariners and what they've done, Seattle, what they've done with Ichiro and the Red Sox, what they've done with Dice K, that it's opened the door for them to go sign marketing deals in Japan. And I'm wondering, you know, there's some good money. You're talking about players there. I mean, you're talking about, like, it's it's not, if the Mariners were owned by Nintendo and they didn't have Ichiro, they wouldn't be among the top three baseball teams in Japan. Right, I guess, but my question is, doesn't this expose the Cavaliers brand in China, not LeBron, but the Cavaliers brand more than it would be if you didn't have Chinese investors involved with the Cavaliers? Yes, but I think if the Cavaliers don't win a championship, it doesn't mean that much. No, I would agree with you there. I absolutely agree, and I totally what, agree what, with what you. Good, what good is they don't? That's their culture. I mean, they respect champions, and I don't think that they're going to want to to ram you know the Cavs brand down down their throats. You know, if if that's not who they, I mean, it's why Kobe got mobbed for the Olympics, and LeBron could be sitting in his seat and you know be fine. It's why Nike chose Kobe for the hyperdunk show at the Olympics and not LeBron. Well, I'll tell you a quick story. When I was over in China two years ago, I went to a press conference with Kobe Bryant, and it was in uh, Beijing. First question he gets asked, and the Chinese media are very, very blunt. And the first question they asked him, how come you have not won as many championships as Michael (laughs) Jordan? And, I mean, talk about a way to start off a press conference on the wrong foot. He started off defensive immediately, Kobe Bryant did. But that just goes to show exactly what your point is, Darren, is that they respect champions, and LeBron has no rings, so Kobe and Michael Jordan and the likes are much more respected. We're joined by Darren Ravel. He's CNBC sports business reporter. You can find him online at darrenravel.com. All right, Darren, you are like Nostradamus when it comes to the spelling bee, the script spelling bee. You have picked the, the winner for the last four years. We've got to give you props on that. You know, I had never really sat and watched the Spelling Bee for any length of time. I had seen highlights until this year. And I sat down this week and I watched it. And I got to tell you, I really liked it. I liked the coverage. I liked the personalities of the kids. I liked the little vignettes that told some of their backstories. And I thought it was very charming. But how are you able to pick the winner four years in a row? 
Well, what what I've noted, so so in 2006, I said, all right, I'm going to pick the top 10. And I picked the top 10, and I think, you know, my third pick won. And then I went to eight, and then I went to five, and this year I went to four. And I, Kyle Moo, who came in third place, was my was one of my picks. And, and Katya Shivashankar, who won, was my number one pick. The way you pick it is no one ever wins out of the blue. They all have experience. So usually between, I usually do someone who has at least three years experience um, and that they get progressively better. And, they, you know, they have these stats. Then there are some weird stats that screw me up, like, you know, Katya is only the third girl in the last 11 years to win. So I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a guy. Or, you know, the, now seven out of the last 11 years, a speller of Indian descent has won. So there's all these all these stats just like any other, and I kind of look at it, and I have a lot of fun. I go through all – I went through all 293 spellers, and it really is a great broadcast. I mean, they really get you to know uh, these guys and show that they have a personality because I think they get a bad rap. This year, that, that Kenji Awood or whatever, I mean, that guy was unbelievable. He was better than Samir Patel, who people might remember as the guy who – who uh, would laugh? And but there's been some highlights. I mean, the kid that the kid that uh, Akshay Budiger or whatever, who 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 that's the guy who fainted and then got up and spelled. I mean, there's, it's it's given what it is. I think it's more exciting than the NFL draft. Really? Because the NFL draft gets huge TV numbers. Uh, what are the TV numbers know, like that, for the spelling bee? Only it only gets huge TV numbers because it's it's dictating futures. I'm talking about as far as a the entertainment value of the broadcast. Right. I would I agree. More exciting. Yeah, I would absolutely agree. So is there a wagering line on the spelling bee? Like if you go to Vegas or you go to Bodog or anywhere? Vegas, but online on BetUS they actually had a cup BetUS dot com was doing um how long would the winning word be? So the over under was nine and a half letters. <laughs> um, they had a, will, will a kid faint this year? They added a new one. Will a kid throw up at the mic? Uh, those, those were long shot odds, and that didn't happen. But yeah, they, they've had some fun with it. Will will a kid have braces, glasses? They didn't put the mustache odds in there. I think I think I got some crap when I said on. CNBC. I said a stat that 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 three three kids out of the two hundred ninety three had mustaches. Oh my gosh, you're the only one I know that would go through two hundred ninety three spellers and uh, you know know them in detail. You're well, like the you know, spelling like bee expert. I like this niche stuff. I like this crazy. You know, I brought the hot dog eating contest to ESPN. So <laughs> cool. Last question for you. Uh, Tom Hicks, the owner of the Texas Rangers, the Dallas Stars of the NHL. What's going on with this guy? I mean, he owns several teams, and we read reports where he may be looking to sell the Rangers after really vehemently denying just two months ago that he had any interest in selling. Is he one of these owners that we're reading about in sports that has been hit very hard with his own personal investments, and now he's got to get out from under his sports investment? Right. I mean, here's the deal. I mean, he's like Tom. What's embarrassing about this is Tom Hicks is like the buyout king, right? I mean, that's what he's made. His he's bought out businesses, revitalized them, and then sold them at a profit. And he, you know, I think his business has been based on, you know, you carry over debt and then you, you know, you ultimately sell it. And he just had a lot of debt on these teams. 
but his, his denials are so strange. Like he purposely went into this type of default um, with the bank, which, as I understand, carried no penalty. It's not like foreclosure or anything. But I called the bankruptcy lawyer, and he said that a very experienced one. He said he's never heard of someone phrasing it like that. Um, then he said that he'd only sell a minority piece of the team, which I wrote that that's not going to be possible in this environment, that anyone who buys a team in this environment and, and gives you a good number on it is going to do a Stephen Biscotti, Art Modell type deal, um, going to do a kind of a Stephen Ross, Wayne Hezengai thing where, where I'll take 49% now and in the next three years I buy out the rest. That's the only way you're going to get any value during these times. So um, I, I think it hasn't been embarrassing, but it's been very strange because he's an experienced businessman. I, I just think he's been caught off guard by all this, and he doesn't. He, he he wants to have a good face in the media, but I think the truth and the reality is coming out. I wonder if uh, Nolan Ryan, who's the president of the Rangers right now, could wrangle up some investors, and uh, maybe he'd be a good owner for that team in the future. That could, that could happen. That could happen. Interesting. Well, Darren, it's always wonderful to catch up with you. You can find him on CNBC. He's their sports business reporter. You can find him online at DarrenRavel.com. Darren, thanks Brian, for joining. And you can find me on Twitter as well at DarrenRavel1. That's one word. Unfortunately, someone took Darren Ravel trying to be a fake sports business reporter. Are there Brian like Twitter Are there Twitter squatters now? Well, you you can you you got to go and complain to Twitter. I figured if I established myself as Darren Ravel 1, and as long as there the the, the Darren Ravel who I guess was a, a, an original squatter wasn't posting fake sports business stories, I think I'm okay with the one. All right, I follow you and I enjoy your your tweets. Thank you. All right, thank you for joining us Darren and we'll uh, catch up with you soon. You got it. Guests appearing during our Sports Sense segment will be treated to the gold standard of all steakhouses, Morton's the Steakhouse, the best steak anywhere. For the Morton's nearest you, go online to mortons.com. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. We live in an age where everything is on the record. What we say anywhere, whether it's in an elevator, in an email, or during a conversation with a reporter, is now being broadcast instantaneously on YouTube, in a blog, or through the mass media. It's easier than ever to spot someone who has been traditionally media trained and is just giving you that same old boring PR speak. I want to help you navigate the tricky media landscape. When I'm not hosting Sports Business Radio, I team with former Nike PR director Lee Weinstein to form Evergreen Media Training. Evergreen Media Training assists individuals and groups by offering unique preparation and training catered to your specific needs. From explaining today's media environment to providing you with post-training, monitoring, and feedback, we'll guide you every step of the way. With nearly 40 years of combined experience working with some of the biggest names in the sports industry, we'll help you communicate your messages honestly, thoughtfully, and from the heart. For an overview and a list of services, visit evergreenmediatraining.com or email me at brian at sportsbusinessradio.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. Ever since Harry Carey, the longtime broadcaster of the Chicago Cubs, passed away a few years ago, they bring celebrities in to Wrigley Field to sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game for the seventh inning stretch. This past week, one of the most memorable renditions ever. Let me root, root, root for the Cubs. If they don't win. 
shame for his one, two, three strikes you out at the old ball game. That was Mr. T, better known as Clubber Lang from the Rocky movies. Nathan, uh, Roseanne Barr, back in the day, she sang the national anthem. I think Clubber Lang and Mr. T, his uh, rendition of the seventh inning stretch, it may have been worse than Roseanne Barr's uh, national anthem. Well, the clip we didn't have at the very end is he said, I pity the pirates. I pity the fool. So I I thought it was better than Roseanne Barr. He could sing the national anthem and dice it. And I'd still much rather listen to Mr. T than Roseanne Barr. Well, and I guess we would have all been more surprised if uh, Mr. T got out there and, you know, sounded like Stevie Wonder or Luther Vandross and, you know, belted out this great rendition. Like Isaac Hayes, chef from South Park. That's right. I I think we knew that he would uh, butcher this. But, you know, this is one of the things that makes the Cubs special is they get celebrities to come to Wrigley. Everyone wants to come watch the Cubbies at Wrigley. It's part of their brand. And they... Bring them out there, and they always have some kind of memorable rendition. And, uh, boy, Mr. T uh, literally knocked him dead this week. Except for on his opening pitch. He needs to work on his throwing arm there. Yeah, and I don't know what was up with his uh, wardrobe either. He got, It's America. It's uh, Memorial Day. <laughs> I know, but he had, like, the, the hammer pants. The hammer pants, exactly right. All right, lots of thank yous on our show this week. John Wartime from Sports Illustrated. Darren Ravel from CNBC. Our show staff, Nathan Roach, Bobby Corser, Josh Blank, Darren Peck, Ron Barr, James Harris, and Doug Zanger. Our sponsors, Moose Tracks Ice Cream, the Warsaw Sports Marketing Center at the University of Oregon, Morton's The Steakhouse, and Evergreen Media Training. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand via podcast every week. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and click on the podcast page. I'm Brian Berger. Have a fantastic week, and we'll talk to you next weekend right here on Sports business radio greg odin of the portland trailblazers supports the ronald mcdonald houses i'm a big fan of the houses happy to help them make a difference he helps because he believes every hospitalized child should be near their family in tough times and everyone can support this home away from home when you purchase a mccafe espresso drink or premium roast coffee mcdonald's donates a portion of proceeds to ronald mcdonald house charities in oregon and southwest washington at participating mcdonald's for a limited time a little change can make a big difference Sports Business Radio talks to the people who call the shots in the world of sports. My guest is Dallas Mavericks owner Mark Cuban. Let's go back to the year 2000, the year before you bought the Mavericks. They were 40 and 42. Fan interest was pretty lukewarm. When you bought this team, what did you see in this team? What was the potential that you saw to get them to where they are today? Probably none. Brian Berger goes one-on-one with the biggest names. My guest is Dr. Miles Brand, the president of the NCAA. I think the reason why we have a BCS-type system in Division 1A and elsewhere we have playoffs is that the schools in Division 1A feel that the regular season is the most important aspect of football. Read the Sports Business blog and listen to SBR On Demand at sportsbusinessradio.com. See, I think that's the big thing. Sports Business Radio, Saturday <laughs> <laughs> or online at sportsbusinessradio.com.